What is up, everybody? Before I get started on today's Mortcast, CSG, I would like to talk to you about a Blanchard Family Wines located between 18th and 19th and Blake and Wazee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. Um, restrictions have been eased a bit, so there's 25% capacity with uh, if you want to go down to the dairy block. Uh, they've got those, uh, I saw a picture on their Instagram at Blanchard in the middle of the dairy block. They, they, they literally got those plastic pods up right now. So you could go in and like, you know, drink a whole bunch of wine while you're in this outdoor plastic pod thing. Um, but if you're not wanting to do that, go to bfwdenver.com. Go to uh, get yourself some, my favorite, the uh, 2017 Cabernet. Or you can uh, get yourself some Pinot because these are uh, grapes from Sonoma County, California. They also have partnerships with some Western Slope wineries, uh, one called Restoration, the other one called Storm Cellars, and there's one in the uh, Elk Mountains. Uh, they are all different varieties of different kinds of Colorado wine, so if you want to try those out, definitely do so. If you go to bfwdenver.com, you can do their virtual wine tastings, which are uh, basically where you can do the whole concept of going in the same with Blanchard, and but you have someone there uh, kind of teaching you how to pair your wine with things, you know, and uh, it's exceedingly popular. So I hope that you check that out. Um, once again, they are located between 18th and 19th and Blake and Wazee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. They go to bfwdenver.com or to Facebook and Instagram under Blanchard Family Wines. When you talk to them or go in there, tell them Jeff Morton from CSG Podcast sent you there. What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me on the latest Mortcast, part of the CSG Network. I am, of course, your host, Jeff Morton. Joining me today on CSG is uh, a, another guest I've had on in the past, um, a, 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 a very famous man at the current, current moment, uh, because he was, he was blessed by uh, a certain ESPN broadcaster. And uh, I would like to talk to you, introduce you to a man that I, I was supposed to be on his show yesterday and I fell asleep and it, to my eternal shame, but he was good enough to join me today. It is the, uh, what, what, what is your official title at Denver Stiffs? This is Ryan Blackburn. What is your official it's, title? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a site manager, but I actually think now it's, it's probably a Doris Burke enthusiast <laughs> uh, simply because she's unbelievable. I've, I've, I'm very thankful for the shout out. And you know, it, it's been really funny how many people have, have brought it up and how many people have congratulated me for it. Like, she doesn't do it very often, and and I I genuinely appreciate her reaching out. Uh, but when when Doris Burke says something, you just you just gotta kind of stop, listen, and take in the praise. So oh, absolutely, I I was I was blown away. Well, you know, uh, stiffs in the past have had shout outs from various ESPN writers. Uh, famously, in 2013, we had Bill Simmons write about us in a column, and. Right. Um, <laughs> I, that I remember Nate being excited about that. I'm not the biggest Bill Simmons fan. So I was like, eh, but uh, Nate was uh, like all about it. Uh, but Doris Burke is pretty much generally universally liked. 
And that's why I was so happy for you. I sent uh, Ryan some texts that day saying congratulations because it really is. I mean, there's, there's no greater stamp of approval than I think Doris Burke. Was, yeah. I mean, I, I think you're right. And, and like, I, I do very poorly when accepting praise. I'm, I'm always deflecting. I'm always trying, trying to share the credit for, for as many things as I possibly can. But uh, the, the consistent message I have heard from everybody is no, you deserve this. And, and I, I, it's, it's hard for me to say, yes, I do deserve this. Like how, how, how does anybody say, say stuff like that? But it's, uh, but it's been wonderful. And, and I appreciate all of the support and, uh, maybe, maybe Doris Burke and I can become good friends after the pandemic and we can go golfing or something. That'd be great. <laughs> Doris is great. Uh, talked to her several times at the, in the bowels of Pepsi center when she's come down for games. And, uh, she is one of the few broadcasters who actually does the work and pays attention and talks to the coaches and all that stuff. You'll be, you'd be amazed how many TV people don't do that. Uh, and yeah. just get notes after before the game. She does the work, and she goes in. Her and Jackie McMullen. Uh, Jackie McMullen is another one that is 100% do the legwork, and uh, it is it is great to get that feel of people. So I'll stop stroking your ego. I will I will stop <laughs> doing that right now. Um, so thank you, thank you for the love of God. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't take any more ego stroking. What about me? No. Um, I, I think that, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on, obviously, is because I fucked up yesterday and I fell asleep, was, um, you know, there was that big James Harden trade yesterday. The James Harden went from the, uh, the Houston Rockets to the Brooklyn Nets. It was a four-team trade, which are notoriously hard to complete. And the speed with which they completed that trade is immense to me. I mean, I, the Nuggets were part of a four-team trade. Um, with on when they got Andre Iguodala in 2012, um, and but even then, I remember people talking about how freaking rare it is to actually make one of these 14 trades work because there's right. just so many moving parts. And it happened yesterday when just let's start with the baseline. What was your initial thought looking at the trade? Um, let's uh, kind of do with what what do you think the winners and losers are of that trade? Uh, well, my first thought was Harden got what he wanted. Okay. He was very much in the camp of, I want to go play with Kevin Durant. I want to go play. Well, maybe he wanted to play with Kyrie Irving. I don't know about that, but he wanted to go be in Brooklyn. That was a place that he was interested in. So after throwing a hissy fit to start the year, he's, he should be happy. He should be ready to go. And, and, and hopefully he, he works himself into a good spot where, where they are actually actualizing their, their talent that they have now. But my second thought was Victor Oladipo, where did he come from? The Indiana Pacers, like you said, they came out of nowhere. This was, yeah. this was not something I, I really expected on my radar to, to pop up. And, and when, when the ultimate Victor Oladipo for Karis Levert piece of this came out, it, it did remind me of that mellow trade. And it reminded me of the Andre Iguodala trade where you had several pieces that that went in all different directions in, in order to satisfy every party. And and there were some high profile pieces too. Jared Allen, who's talked about as one of the, the top pieces of this deal, he's now in Cleveland. And they have Andre Drummond and they have all of these other bigs that that it, it doesn't necessarily make sense right now, but but they're building something interesting there too. So right. it felt like everybody was getting in on this deal. It felt like everybody 
wanted a piece of the action and, and ultimately felt four teams got it. Hmm. You know, I was thinking uh, Houston did okay. I mean, it looks like that they're going to flip Oladipo. Uh, I think that is the plan. Um, he is an expiring deal. And I think before the trade deadline, they're going to, they're going to flip him for something. Uh, I can't imagine them just letting him go. Um, just they, they, he's too valuable. Although he hadn't been playing right. tremendous. Um, the, the, the ones that surprised me were Cleveland and, and Indiana, as you said, that yeah, was, those yeah. were the two that really surprised me. Levert, I think is a bit of a gunner and I know TJ McBride. I, I listened to your podcast you did with him. And I do know that it, it, here's something I, I do know about TJ. This is putting it out there. He likes gunners. Um, so that it, it, whenever you hear him talk, compliment these guys, uh, they, there's, there's a little bit of gunner because he, he grew up watching Kobe. Uh, so oh, yeah. there, there is, there is that. And Karis Levert has never really impressed me. I think he's just kind of a gunner. He reminds me of, of, um, a guy that, uh, a gu- gunners tend to be great six men. So, um, like Jamal Crawford. Uh, perfect six man or Lou Williams. Uh, he's bigger and he's a little more tenacious than both, but he kind of falls right. into the same category with me. Um, oh, but yeah. I I think it actually makes Indiana a little bit better because Demondra Sabonis has been playing out of his mind this year. Yeah, it's it's going to be fascinating to see how how that team really fits. I I do enjoy the idea of Karis Levert as as kind of their small forward while uh, T.J. Warren is out there. Because uh, he's he's not gonna he's not gonna be back this year. They needed somebody with a little bit more size than Victor Oladipo. They were starting him next to Brogdon and Aaron Holiday, who was a little bit shorter. Yeah. So it it was a good move for them, and and a more long term focused move for them because it it is possible that Karis Levert has more to show than he's shown already. Yeah. And with Victor Oladipo, it certainly felt like that ran its course, and he's at 28 years old expiring contract had expressed that he didn't want to be there in the past. And it, it, Kevin O'Connor came out with a, an article on the ringer that said that he still kind of has, has eyes for Miami. And when, when you hear things like that, when you see things like that, given the way that the superstars have moved around, you take it pretty seriously because everybody seems to be getting their way more often than not lately. Everyone wants Miami, but not everyone understands quote, the heat culture aspect of it and the ridiculous standards that they hold people to when you get in there. And Victor Oladipo doesn't strike me as a ridiculous standards kind of type of player. So I don't know how realistic his desires are there, but you know, I, I, I could be wrong, you know? Yeah. His, his best season was when, when he got into great shape and when, when he was, he was just absolutely jacked and I'm sure Pat Riley would, would, have a great say in that saying, Hey, this, this is a guy that when he puts his nose to the grindstone, when he's fully committed to a championship caliber team, then, then things change. Uh, I kind of like the idea. If, if I were them, I think it's a better, it's a better play to make, but either way, Oladipo's in Houston right now. And I don't think he wants to be in Houston and Houston's probably going to flip him, like you said. I, right. I just don't see how they hold on to somebody who is going to be an unrestricted free agent, given that they've they've really started to tear this thing down. Oh yeah, and, and and you know, and one of the one of the big big aspects of this is we have 
we've seen a trade finally go down. And like I said, the speed with which that trade was completed was stunning to me. Absolutely stunning. Yeah. To me. And uh, I will agree with TJ McBride. I think the, the, the Sixers would have been a better deal for in, in the immediate needs of the Rockets, maybe not long-term because I, I think one of the, th- the things I have about the, the picks, and it's not the pick swaps, but the actual picks. It's kind of like I, what I was saying about the, uh, the, the, all the picks that the uh, um, uh, Oklahoma City Thunder got. If you look at all of them, they're pretty much mid to late round picks. And it reminded me of Danny Ainge getting all these mid to late round picks and being completely unable to unload them because they were mid right. to late round right. picks. <laughs> and, and I think the only picks that worked out from uh, that big Nets trade that he did in 2013 was, I think, was Jason Tatum part of the uh, Nets original thing? And yeah, I, yeah. Both he and Jalen Brown. Jalen One Brown. of them was, right. was an actual pick and the other was a swap. Swap, uh, right, right. Yeah. So they got that, but they had, I mean, they had truckloads. And... Yeah. I think for the Rockets, though, it's like you can only, you, you, there's, there's, there's far more Terry Rogiers in the draft than there are Jason Tatum's. And you can have too many pits. And I, I get it when you're trying to unload players, it's good to attach a pick sometimes. So, like, if they, if they wanted to trade, uh, I don't know, Daniel House, but they can't get rid of him. So they sure. just have to attack, attach one of those first round picks. I get it. But as a, as a desired a, uh, quote unquote asset, and I hate using that word, um, I just don't see it as a big play as far as rebuilding. And that's my, that's my qualms with it. Unless you're getting a guaranteed up there lottery pick, I, I just don't see how it's going to fundamentally change your direction. But I, I, that could be uh, me just looking at things askew. Yeah, to me, it, it just seems like they are making the bet that the Brooklyn situation is going to blow up. And frankly, it's not a bad bet, given how many combustible situations are there already. Okay. Uh, Kevin Durant could, could demand a trade after he's un, unhappy with the situation. Uh, right. Kyrie Irving could retire tomorrow. Like, like okay. he's... Just, just could could do whatever the hell he wants. Uh, James Harden, he he's played one way for his entire career, and he's going to have to completely change how he plays in in Brooklyn. And and on top of that fact, they don't have any defense to speak of. So there there are ways that it could fall apart. There are ways that they could start breaking it up, and and it it could turn sour at some point. And and the Nets are 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 the the Rockets are making that bet. Is it a good bet? I don't know. I, I kind of like the idea of acquiring Victor Oladipo so you can flip him for more assets. Uh, I I don't think that – like Ben Simmons would have been a great asset, don't get me wrong, but they weren't going anywhere with John Wall on that roster. And yeah. I, like they just have – they have no flexibility if they have two max contracts there. Uh, so I, I, tend to, I tend to give them a pass for it. Let me, let me point let – let me put this out here. I think Harden for for Brooklyn. Harden going there is more of Kyrie insurance than anything else, because I think I think they see the writing on the wall there. And mm-hmm. Kyrie is I don't know what planet he's on right now. I don't even know what's in his head, but he's 
he has his own situation. Harden, and if you look at the Oklahoma City Thunder in from about 2008 to 2012, Harden and Durant on the court together was a dynamic extremely explosive combination and i think that is what kevin durant was looking at more than westbrook harden it was because those guys need the ball in their hands a lot durant and uh and harden is a different kind of and i think more easily fit equation and i think that is what they saw rather than Kyrie being the what you know being a essential ingredient here because if i look at it and i talk to a lot of people in the league that they're like i have no idea what's going on with Kyrie. well we have no idea what that situation is so as long as it's why is that volatile you know you could kind of look at this tartan trade as insurance for Kyrie. it's a good plan and and when you have an opportunity to get a player of the caliber of james harden you, you do it. And, and, and like, no matter what happens with the rest of your roster, unless you had another purely ball dominant player that, that just wasn't going to fit. And, and even, even a team like that, let's say uh, the Portland trailblazers, they wanted to get in on the hard and sweepstakes. That's something that they, that they wanted to do, but they weren't willing to give up CJ McCollum. Right. Um, I tend to think that it's a good move and that, Brooklyn is going to be successful with it. Uh, I don't know what happens with Kyrie. They may trade him. Uh, I don't know what his trade value around the league is right now. Maybe they just play it out and say, hey, Harden and and Durant are going to be the top two guys. And Kyrie, when you want to come back, we'll work you back in. But until that point, I, I... I like the two top pieces. There's, there's still some major question marks on the rest of that roster, but there were question marks with the Lakers and, and they made it work. Yeah. It's going to be fascinating to me. And I, I kind of like the fact that they did this because I think they needed, the league needed some of this kind of basketball talk with all the COVID going on right now, to be quite honest with you. I think they, they kind of needed a basketball thing for people to talk about. Um, Every, everything gotten kind of stale, everything like, because there wasn't a lot of movement this off season there, like the, I think the league at large had had sort of lost that luster of, mm-hmm. of a big name to really track, of a big name to really get behind and say, okay, hey, where is this excellent player going to go? Uh, Harden going to Brooklyn is probably the least interesting thing that that he could have done, but like, I, I still I still think it is good for the league to to get a good strong team in New York because God knows the other one is 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 has struggled. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and I, I brought this up to Chris, Chris Dempsey on Twitter, and he and I both remember the Carmelo Anthony uh, saga. I, I will give this props to Melo. He handled himself about as professionally as you can in a very difficult situation. Um, right. And not to spoil anything, but I've projected this on Twitter a lot. There will be a podcast of, and I'm calling the originals, of uh, Andy, Nate, and I. We're go- are going to, to, to do a, and for the 10th anniversary of the Mellow Trade, we're going to talk about our memories of it and how weird it was and how everything that That's was going awesome. on. And so look forward to that in the coming weeks. But we, one of the things that uh, my memory of this after they trade after Harden gave that holy unprofessional, just awful press conference the night before last, I'm like, 
it makes you appreciate how Mello handled his exit from Denver. And I think people are rightly upset for him wanting to be out in a bigger market, but I think they are forgetting that he could have handled this like Anthony Davis and James Harden and just kind of really just blown shit up. And Mello just worked with Nuggets management as much as possible, let them do their thing, and ended up in the situation he wanted, and the Nuggets got back what they needed. It was a difficult situation, but he was able to do that. And quite frankly, the, you just look at the way Harden and Anthony Davis uh, handled their situations the last two years, uh, two, three years, and I'm like, I, I just I, – I, 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 imagine the, the gut-wrenching crap for those fans in Houston and New Orleans that they had to go through for yeah. all that bullshit, you know? I, I, I agree with you. I, I will put the other side of that coin though. Uh, if you're hardened, if you, if you've been trying to get out of this situation for a significant period of time right. and the pressure that you've initially put on the franchise hasn't moved the needle at all. Apparently he thought that a deal was going to be done in the off season. He thought mm. that, that er, early he, he expected this to be done. He never expected to have to come back to Houston's camp. Uh, Houston decided they wanted to try to squeeze even more assets out of Brooklyn. And he, he was, he was very unhappy about it. He was very angry. And so the, the balance between putting the proper amount of pressure on a franchise in order to move you versus going too far. Like I think he did with his presser. Uh, it did move the needle. It certainly got him moved. And, and like he, he, he made a, sh- uh, a shit, show of himself on Tuesday night and got traded Wednesday afternoon. So uh, there, there is something to be said, I think for, for putting pressure on the franchise, it's just about the, the right amount of pressure and, and not making a fool of yourself or your team. Yeah. And I, I remember when right after Yusuf Nurkic was traded um, in 2017, and obviously we all know the trail of tears that uh, Yusuf Nurkic left. Uh, oh, yeah. with, with the way he handled himself. And I'll rem- I remember complaining about it because I, 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 me and the people who were around in the media at the time and, you know, you well understood there was things going on there that really made Nurkic look bad. And I was like complaining about it on Twitter and my buddy Wilson Chandler sent me a, 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 a tweet. It was public and he said, this is business, man. He says, you got to do what's best for you. And in a large sense, if you don't give a, a team a reason to trade you, they will hold on to you, particularly if you're a good player. Um, yeah. There was no way, and I've told people this over and over, there's no way two starting centers uh, on, a, on a team will, would work. There was no way Nurkic and Jokic would have been a sustainable combination. Nurkic was never going to be happy with coming off the bench. It was just never a thing. Um, right. and nor would he be, he was a starting caliber center who would probably be better used in a place where he could start. So who was young and he still had, he still had a lot of ways to go developmentally. He thought that he needed time and, and the nuggets at that point weren't willing to give him the time needed to, to develop as a starting caliber center because they had this other great player who, who has, has obviously turned into something extraordinary. Right. Uh, no, no, no blame on Yusuf Nurkic anymore. I think, I think the longer I've, I've come away from that situation, the more I understand it, Yeah. the more I realize, Hey, you, you kind of got to do what's best for you. And, and he found himself in a great situation. And I, I think the nuggets did right by him. Let's, yeah. let's be clear. They, they found a perfect situation for the guy 
and and had no hard feelings. They 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 could have sent him to a poor situation to to play behind some other veteran center, but yeah. instead they they gave him an opportunity to flourish, and and he took advantage to his credit. Right, and you know, and now that we're in this situation, and we're moving on from Nurkic's. The Nuggets are in a situation now where they are, are they're they're just kind of muddling through, and it's and it's very yeah. clear that they're muddling through. Um, and I kind of want to just before I get to the actual mechanics of the Nugget situation and previewing the uh, game tonight against the uh, the Dubs, um, Brian Windhorst has seemed to have been very obsessed with the Nuggets trying to getting to trade getting them to trade something i uh, and it's 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 he i if you listen to his podcast he's like almost flummoxed as to why the nuggets haven't tried to trade either michael porter jr or another player for any player and uh to me like obviously he's not going to talk about the nuggets otherwise but to me it is just it, it is odd that someone would be so obsessed with trying to get a team to trade pieces and I have no idea why this situation will come in to any sort of factor. It's just, it, whatever they do, they do. It's just, I just, it, it, it wasn't sitting right with me. And I started complaining about it on Twitter. And I'm like, why am I doing this? I'm probably going to have to interact with my horse at some point in my life. So <laughs> <laughs> why do I keep, why do I keep complaining about this? But have you, did you notice that sort of thing? Or is that something that you, that came across your timeline and where you think like, why is he so obsessed with the Nuggets trading something? Yeah, and, and I think the Nuggets are the team that's next in line for a big trade. Right. Uh, depending on how, how things work out with Porter, how things work out with Murray, Jokic, and Porter all together, uh, it certainly feels like, given the departure of Jeremy Grant, that, that there is something missing now. That, that they there is whatever the factor is. I think it's athleticism at the forward position, kind of like what Jeremy Grant provided. Yeah. Uh, but but they have certainly missed that. And and. and not having Porter out there over the past seven games has, has definitely contributed, but I, I tend to think, and I, I kind of tend to agree with him that, that they, it, it feels like there are a lot of guys on the Nuggets roster right now, but there aren't a lot of players. Yeah. And, and when you, when you sort of sit back with it, you realize, okay, Murray and Jokic are definitely going to be contributors in a playoff series. Jamichael Green, I feel pretty confident he's going to be a contributor in a playoff series. Right now, Gary Harris is shooting 26% from three, despite the fact that he, he's had a couple of games, a couple of nice games. Will Barton has been up and down. Uh, he did have a really nice shooting performance last game, and hopefully that kicks it off for the rest of the season. Right. Uh, Paul Millsap has aged out. I think that's pretty clear. Monte Morris is a player. I feel pretty confident in saying that. We don't know what Michael Porter Jr. is. I, th- I think you, you kind of go down the line and, and you realize, okay, they are trying to get through it. They are trying to piece together a lot of these pieces, and it feels like they are ripe for ripe for a deal that acquires a starter. I'm not sure who that starter is. I don't know where where it's coming from. Maybe Windhorse is trying to to grease the wheels on something like that. But one thing that he doesn't realize, and one thing that he neglects to mention almost every single time, is that the two most high profile acquisitions the Nuggets have made over the last eight years are Andre Iguodala and Jeremy Grant. And both of those guys walked the moment that they could. They, it didn't, it gave, they got one year out of each of those guys. They, they gave up 
multiple players and a, and a first round pick for Iguodala, and he walked away to the championship Golden State Warriors. And Jeremy Grant's first opportunity he got, he walked away and went to the Detroit Pistons of all teams yeah. for his own reasons. And and we, we don't have to get into that. But yeah. I think that the Nuggets have grown gun shy. And it's very understandable as to why. They very, very, very much prioritize their culture. Mm-hmm. And they thought that their culture would be enough to bring back Jeremy Grant. And when it wasn't, they 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 were a little bit confused. They there was there was a lot of confusion going on and they they hoped that they could bring him back. Uh, but there's there are a lot of factors there that when you trade for somebody, you you have to hope that they're going to come back. And and if you get burned every single time, you start to realize, uh, maybe, maybe this isn't worth all the trouble. Well, let me add some more color to that. And I completely agree. Um, after, after, there was a lot of optimism coming into the, after the 18, 19 season where the Nuggets went to the second round, uh, should have beaten the Portland Trailblazers. And right. were, you know, if it wasn't for, you know, uh, Portland having someone who was six foot eight, uh, they the Nuggets would have won that series. <laughs> yeah, um, it's true, but there was a a uh, a feeling that that a bunch this would be a lure for free agents. That did not come to pass very dramatically, and then they trade for Jeremy Grant because they couldn't really you know get what they wanted in free agency. And Jeremy Grant uh, leaves, like, for the same amount of money to a losing team. That is a very hard slap in the face, is what that is. Yep. And it occurs to one person that they need to find people who are okay with being in Denver. I know people or get very upset at the implication that Denver is less than. And I think it's not about, it's, it's, it's due to, I think largely to the fact that if you're coming from a certain culture, Denver does not have what other cultures have specifically in the case of Jeremy Grant. um, He wanted to go to a black city. I mean, we'll be, he said that in his article. Yeah. Um, he wanted and, to play for a to black be, coach. To be clear, to be clear, that's perfectly fine. Like yeah. there, it, it, I, I totally like. I, I don't get it because like I, I can't relate. But like I understand why. Like yeah. there, there are a lot of factors that the Nuggets and that the city of Denver just cannot control, and and that is one of them. That is right. that has always been one of them, and and they've wanted to change it for a long, long time. But things just haven't manifested, and you kind of see that whenever any any NBA player comes through here. Whenever, whenever uh, road teams come through here, it's, it's always, uh, this is a really white city. It's, yeah. That's just kind of how it is. And it is what it is. And quite frankly, Denver doesn't have to apologize for its demographic and uh, neither do the people who want to be somewhere else. It, it's a situation sure. that is what it is, yeah. right? And the, there's two players that have loved the city of Denver who have come through Denver, uh, other than Chauncey Billups, uh, who, who obviously grew up here and still lives here. It is Danilo Gallinari, who still lives here, and Darrell Arthur, who still lives here. And it is hard to find... 
hard to find players like Darrell Arthur and Danilo Gallinari. It is almost a needle in the haystack, but you got to find him. And that is where the Nuggets find themselves right now. And quite frankly, Michael Porter Jr. is in one of the, and bring it to Michael Porter Jr., like away from Windhorse, I would like to not talk about him as much as possible, um, is we are, we are in a situation with Michael Porter Jr. And I've explained this to people, and I just, the blank looks on, my, in, on the faces that happen is stunning to me. The Nuggets are counting heavily on Michael Porter Jr. developing because right. of the circumstances that we just outlined. Yep. And the Nuggets are in a situation right now, not to be too bleak to people, and I hope people don't take it that way. They have no choice, folks. The Nuggets have no choice but to hope to God that Mike Porter Jr. develops. Because uh, he, there hasn't been enough tape on him to, to make him um, a more appealing asset to get a star. And at the other side of that, he hasn't made a, a big enough impact yet for them to be any sort of determination of how he's going to fit on the roster. They're in limbo. And that is why they need to see him play. And that's just my view. That is why we need to see Michael Porter Jr. as much Michael Porter Jr. as possible going into the season because the Nuggets are kind of stuck. They're definitely stuck. And, and when you lose all of the wings that they lost in what has been a wings league for eons, Mm-hmm. Uh, that you, you rely on the one that sticks with you. You rely on the one that you have team control for several years. Mm-hmm. And they genuinely believe in his talent. They think that he could be a 25-point, 30-point scorer in the right circumstance. And, and he might have to sacrifice a little bit of that in order to fit in with Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic. But those two guys have expressed belief in, in wanting to be in here, be, be in this system and, and be in Denver and, and see this through. And including Michael Porter Jr. into that is going to be difficult. And, and I, I see a bunch of national people who don't want to, or who, who think that Denver shouldn't want to undergo that struggle, that they should try to sell out for Bradley Beal, go get Pascal Siakam, who's struggling in Toronto. Uh, whether it's James Harden, if, if you've got an opportunity to James Harden, you go get him. Well, it's, it's not that simple. It, it just never has been that simple. There are so many team and interpersonal dynamics on this that, that make it so much more difficult to just make that choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, Denver has big goals, but they also just want to get through. And yeah. they also just, they also want people that want to want them. And, right. and I think that that's important. And I think that establishing that culture is incredibly important. And I hope that people can come to realize that, that it's, it's a, it's a long process and, and having to undergo that is going to be painful but if you do it right, then you might come out strong on the other side. Here, here's been my overall point on this. And I've actually, people have told me to stop podcasting about MPJ, but you know, whatever, it's my podcast. Um, like it's, it's hard not to <laughs> yeah. podcast about the dude, man. Like he, he hasn't even played in seven games and he's still the most interesting part of this roster. Right. There is, I'll, I'll just put it to you this way. Um, Porter gives something nuggets don't have in the sense that he's a dynamic and completely unstoppable scorer at the wing position. He, it reminds me in a very large way about Kevin Durant. He, he just, he, he just exudes that kind of capability, not, you know, obviously they're not nowhere in the same ballpark right now, but that's the, 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 the reminder, the 2008 Kevin Durant, 
where uh, he was on a terrible team and all they did was had to point to Kevin Durant and say, you just score, right? That's all they yeah. did. 2007, 2008, that's, I mean, that, that Sonics team was terrible. The Nuggets put up 163 points in regulation on them. Okay, that's how terrible that team was. Woof. But, 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 that allowed him to work through his kinks. I've t- I said this a lot, um, and, I, and I actually said this to a couple of people. Michael Porter Jr. would probably be better off if he was on a rebuilding team right now because he would get to play through his mistakes. Uh, yep. He is in a horribly, for him, uh, difficult situation because he is not afforded that. Um, and the Nuggets are in a horrible, in a, in a not a horrible situation, but in a difficult situation because they have to play through his mistakes. And I'm going to point this out again. They have no choice. They have to let him do this because um, they can't afford to not let him turn into what he's going to turn into if they hopefully see it, right? And hopefully that's the case. I know it's right. frustrating. I know that Nicole Jokic is frustrated. I know Jamal's probably frustrated. I know that there is not enough ball between the three of them to, to go around at this point, right? But they got to figure it out. Because when you've got someone that like Michael Porter Jr., you have to nurture that and make sure that it turns into what you think it could be. Because if he is, I point this out a lot, if he does turn out to be that, he takes the Nuggets from where they are to thermonuclear single-handedly and it doesn't matter what you put behind them that those three will make everything work but it's a painful process and i don't know if michael malone or a lot of other people are have have the patience with a team that's good to deal with it i think it's a great point and and i i tend to have the same concerns that he is a player that's going to drive Michael Malone and others crazy. Mm-hmm. I, I fully acknowledge that. And that that's going to be something that sticks with them for multiple years. It's, this isn't just going to be a, uh, we're just going to get through the one year process and then it's going to be good. Like this is going to happen. And he's going to start jacking shots in clutch time that if they rim out, then Jokic is going to look at him like, what the hell are you doing, man? Right. Like, like this is, this is something that as he continues to grow, it's going to really, it's going to really screw some things up. And, and it, it kind of reminds me of the, the hypothetical of the Detroit Pistons. What if they had drafted Carmelo Anthony back yeah. in 2003? Yeah. That they already had an established culture. They already had an established system. If you introduce Carmelo into that, then it would have, it, it, it might've been great. Like, like Melo had previously said, he would have won multiple rings in, mm-hmm. in that sort of system. But he might not have. They they might not have been the same team, and it might have completely changed them. It might have completely broken them. And and I tend to to think that there are some similar things with this group that an already established group that reached their ceiling. I think their ceiling is Western Conference Finals without Michael Porter Jr. They aren't getting to the NBA Finals without him but they also might lose in the first round and they also might miss the playoffs and they also might do some crazy things where uh, how, how did they, how did they underperform as much as they did? That's because it's growing pains. It's because you you had to take a step back in order to take two steps forward. And I think, I think I was fully cognizant of this coming into the year, but it's frustrating to look at losses because you have a baseline of expectation. And 
but I did know coming into the year specifically, it, it wasn't that Jeremy Grant was so good. It was just that he fit. I mean, that's, that's, that's the best thing we could say about Jeremy Grant. Um, right. And uh, Jermichael Green's doing great. I mean, it's no offense to Jermichael Green. I think Jermichael Green should be starting, I, to be quite honest with you. That's, 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 I do too. That's, that's my point of view. I think Paul Millsap is good for 16 minutes a game at this point in his career. And yeah. uh, maybe you start a player like that, but Jermichael Green needs to be getting 25 uh, because he has that positive for this team. Um, but it's hard to go through the growing pains and it's something that's a necessity. It, it's just, it's just the reality of the situation. And the frustrating thing about it is that I just, I, I, I think the desire to stack wins overrides the need to get right. And playoffs are about matchups, not necessarily, particularly when you're going to have no crowd playoffs are even more about matchups. And quite frankly, the Nuggets need to be thinking about getting this team fundamentally right. It, it's extending beyond Michael Porter Jr. Getting right before the playoffs right. and not necessarily, quote, worrying about stacking regular season wins. Yeah, there's going to be a long process. We're, we're only 11 games in. There are 61 more unless they decide to cancel a whole bunch of them, which could still happen. We'll, we'll just see how that goes. Yeah, but, hopefully uh, not, yeah. <laughs> uh, hope, hopefully not. Um, but they're, they're so long. And, and Matt Moore has made this point several times that the season is very long. You don't want to be playing your best basketball in the first month of the year, you'd like to build towards it. You'd like to, to find a nice rhythm and, and you'd like to continue to work towards that with the right frame of mind. And if, if I would be lying, if I, if I said that I wanted Michael Porter jr. To play better in uh, uh, right now, December or January than I would in April or May. Like if, if he's playing at an, at an all-star level in April or May, then I think this is all worth it that, that, that they're all, they're in a good situation at that point, but it, it's going to take time. And Jared, Jared, like the Jamichael green situation, I totally agree with you. I think he needs to start. I think that they're probably going to make that transition at some point over the course of the next five months. Uh, when that happens, I think is a really big deal because uh, Michael Malone, had this problem last year where he probably should have transitioned into starting Jeremy Grant for Paul Millsap last year. And he was never able to do it for various circumstances. Yeah. Um, they went back to their initial starting lineup and I thought that that was the wrong decision and it, it nearly came back to bite them in the first round of the playoffs. Um, so I am curious to see how he handles it. I'm curious to see who comes off the bench between Will Barton and Gary Harris. Uh, I'm curious to see if they decide to make a trade and, and kind of streamline that entire discussion because there, there are still a lot of moving pieces on this team that I don't know who fits where. I don't know who's in the playoff rotation. I don't know what that looks like. And, and I, I'm, I'm concerned that I have zero idea. I, I, I kind of moving to where the nuggets are now and we'll, we'll to briefly talk about that and then we'll, we'll, we'll go into a preview of tonight's game. Um, which we really don't have to preview. We, we kind of know, know about <laughs> who they're playing. They're playing the, the Golden State Warriors. But where the Nuggets are right now um, is a 5-6 and six team. Should have beaten uh, – and, and, and I'll, I'll gonna, I didn't podcast after the Nets game. Um, 
they didn't lose the, and this is my view, they didn't lose the game in the third quarter because they were leading with two minutes left in the game, 113-111. They lost the game because they couldn't defend uh, at a high level at the end. And they couldn't score. And uh, it was another they looked exhausted moment to me. And it was, it was a weird collision of, of circumstances that I think, I think was concerning to me more than their inability to close, and that has been a problem this year, is more concerning yeah. to me than their third quarter lapses. Their inability to close games against Dallas, they should have won that game. Uh, against uh, the Nets, should have won that game. Two good teams. Uh, honestly, go back to the season opener against yeah. against the Sacramento Kings that they lost on an overtime tying buzzer beater. Like, like that would be that would be the the main one. And right. I, I I tend to agree with you that they that their record is better than their actual like like no the, their play is better than their actual record uh, because they've had some bad luck towards the end of games. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was by referees. Well, the Sacramento, you know. Uh, this particularly, there, there was some, that Dallas game, that, that, that three point shot that, that wasn't even, didn't even touch Doncic. Like, oh my God, what are you doing? Anyway, that's it. That would be me complaining. <laughs> but, uh, there, there's, there's some things, there's some things that, that have gone awry and, but I'll, I think the Nuggets at five and six and people are just going to have to, uh, yell at their podcast device with, after I said this, but uh, honestly, I, I don't mind five and six at this point with all the issues they have and the players they need to work in. I don't mind it. I, I, I think if they end up 500 this year, okay, whatever, as long as they make the playoffs, um, this was kind of projected. And I think as long, as long as they get to where they need to be, they will be fine. And a lot of that's going to depend on Michael Malone and his ability to adjust to the roster that he has. So as long as they get there, as long as they show that progression, just speaking for myself, I'm okay with it because it will make them much better the following year. Yeah. I tend to have a little bit higher expectations in terms of record, in terms of what they, what they feel like they can get out of this. I think their baseline for talent is higher than that. And, and we, we know that it's higher than that, that they should be able to squeeze out more wins than they have. And if you just kind of normalize for a couple of things, I think they probably could just as easily be seven and four right now as they are five and six. Uh, and it, with that being the case, if if they play at a seven and four pace for the rest of the year, I feel pretty good about it. Like they, they're going to have their ups and downs. They're going to go through some, some various spells, but like you said, Michael Malone is in a really tough position because he's back to 2016, 17, where this team was an unbelievable offense and didn't have any defense. And he has to find a way with the personnel that he has to squeeze out some defensive talent to squeeze out some defensive impact and whether that solution is on the roster, he has to find that or whether that solution isn't on the roster and they have to go get that. I think that they'll, they'll do what they can to get that defense back into the top 20. Uh, I think it's coming. I think they like Kevin Durant is a really tough matchup for them. They, they had to guard him with bull bull in the starting lineup. (laughs) Like that's, that's, that's a really tough situation. Um, But there are going to be teams that, aren't as tough of a situation that, that they'll, they'll find some good defensive minutes against. And I, I think they're going to round into form and be a top six seed or so. So stay out of the play in tournament and, and, and do what they can to just 
whatever the matchup is, they don't, they don't care going on the road, staying at home. Like they, they don't care because there is no home court advantage anymore. Right. Uh, but whatever the case is, I, I, I think they will get to that point. And I, I do trust Michael Porter Jr. And, and Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray to be a, an elite offense. Like that's, right. that's definitely not like an issue. It, it's, it's all about the defense right now. Well, I trust Nikola and Michael Porter Jr. And trust Nikola and Jamal, the three of them together, yeah. I just, I, they need to figure that out. And that's going to take some time. That is really yeah. going to take some time. Uh, Jamal, the, the, the specifically, and you, I, you may disagree with this, but this, the dynamic between Jamal and MPJ is just, is, I, I don't know how they're going to figure it because both of them want the ball. So I don't know how they're going to figure that out. I hope they will, because I, 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 I think they will adjust to it. But it's it's they haven't had to deal with three people who want the ball all the time. <laughs> well, the the interesting factor there is is I I tend to put a lot of it more on Nicola now because he's the guy who's the distributor. He's the guy who is the the facilitator who's averaging double digit assists. And and when Jamal is on the court and MPJ is on the court, Jokic sort of goes through Jamal as the second guy, and then he immediately places Michael Porter Jr. along with Gary Harris and Paul Millsap as the ancillary pieces. Yeah. I don't think that can happen in, in, in their starting unit. I think it, it, the pecking order should be Nikola Jokic first, Jamal Murray second, Michael Porter Jr. clearly third. And, and right now in those situations, he's just not clearly third. There, there are times where he'll go with that starting unit for the first five minutes of the game without a touch, without a shot. And, and that's on the coaching staff to call a play. That's on Nikola Jokic to dictate it. Uh, it's on it's on everybody to help get the twenty two year old involved, and, and I tend to think that there there are some issues there that, like you said, they have to work through. It, but it has to be it has to be understanding of the talent that they do have. Yeah, you know what? I, I was going to preview the Warriors tonight, but screw it. I mean, no one cares. Um. <laughs> well, if if Gary Harris doesn't play. Uh, then, then they're going to have a really, really hard time guarding anybody. Like, duh. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, so th- they're just going to have to score. I, I, I think they can score. Uh, but I tell you what, you know, that third quarter should shake everyone's confidence against the Nets as far as ability to score. Their problem in that yeah. quarter was they couldn't score. I mean, let, let's, let's be yeah. quite honest with you here. Michael Malone was bitching about defense afterwards. I mean, their problem was they couldn't get the ball in the hoop. And that was really bad. And, and it was all with Nicola out there, too. And that was disturbing that they could not, they could not score. That's not, to me, in my theory, how they, why they lost the game. I think they lost the game at the end because they stabilized and came back and were leading. Um, right. But they, but they couldn't score. And the Nuggets go through bad dry spells and you just cannot have if you're in the lead offense you've got to be humming efficiently for about 80 percent of the game you'd have every every team has dry spells but not ones that are what was it what was it like a 30 to 6 run or something like that it was something insane yeah i think it was like 29 to 4 or something yeah. like that but but like they 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 go through these stints and and last are Tuesday night was was a great example of it, where it's just a mid-range clank fest, where they can't get all the way to where they want to go. 
their their offense gets interrupted and then Jamal Murray and Will Barton are are forced to freestyle and Bull Bull certainly not the guy who's taking mid-range shots like he's he's, he's kind of out there as, as a very complimentary player uh, Paul Millsap was out there and, and really did nothing. I, I yeah. thought that Nikola Jokic was out there and he really did nothing. He wasn't involved with anything. I thought that was a a Jamal Murray and Will Barton problem, and they didn't play through Nikola Jokic enough. And that's that's on everybody because like uh, Jokic has to start dictating that that he is the MVP candidate and needs the ball against the matchup that he likes. Uh, if he doesn't do that, then then they're going to be in some trouble from time to time. Because an offense that's entirely surrounded by Jamal Murray and Will Barton, it's it's going to be dictated by how well they finish inside the the three point arc. Because they don't hunt those three point shots; they yeah. they hunt the mid range shots. They do. And uh, look, you know me and my hating the league of threes at this point. But at the same time, it's like the Nuggets default to. To, to floaters and they were doing that at the beginning of last year it was like it was nothing but floaters that's <laughs> <awful. laughs> they're kind of doing that now uh, one, one last thing before i let you go and thank you for coming on um sure man uh you disagreed with a lot of people on this so i, I want to get your thoughts um in my view uh pj dozier is very dangerously close to becoming the new tory craig and yeah. i'm seeing some disturbing signs of this in the last two games. Uh, actually, uh, the, particularly the Dallas game and the New Jersey game. And I, I don't want to lump PJ into that category because he's a, be- he's a better offensive player than, than Torrey was. But he's got that Anthony Carter-esque, uh, I, I'm going to rely on you kind of thing. And where necessarily it doesn't translate to what it what – should look like on the offensive end, particularly at the end of games. Uh, am I reading that completely the wrong way? No, I think you're right. And, and I think that there, there has, there has to be a give and take from Malone on, on his defensive weapon. Uh, and, and that's what, that's what PJ Dozier is. He's, he's the guy that you, you insert into the lineup when you need great perimeter defense. Uh, he covers for a lot of people's mistakes, and though he isn't this all-encompassing defender, he has had a positive impact on the defense, like yeah. tangibly from the numbers, and and that's good. Like you want to see that, but uh, his his numbers in fourth quarters were were very good, as as I posted on on Twitter on Tuesday night. Mm-hmm. Uh, Malone's problem is that he doesn't have Michael Porter Jr. Yeah, and that would be the guy that should finish those games at power forward. And right now, you, I, I, I tend to think that he should be finishing these games with Jamichael Green, yeah, uh, because he can't finish them with Paul Millsap for whatever reason. He took Jamichael Green out with about four minutes to go, and things just kind of spiraled from there. Yeah, um, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what his desire is for for a situation like that. Uh, maybe it's because Will Barton was playing well and, and they wanted him to, to stay out there and, and have some spacing. I, 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 I don't, I don't Oof. really get it, but him guarding Durant he, was, he doesn't, oh, it was, it was, it was disgustingly bad. Oh. Um, but I, I think that Michael Porter jr. Is the guy that they're going to want to finish games with a power forward right. in those kinds of situations. Then you have a, a Murray, Morris, Barton, Porter, Jokic lineup, and and that lineup. If that lineup struggles to score, then then you have some issues. Right. Well, uh, all this to say, quite frankly, 
I'm still positive about the year. It, it's, it's kind of been sounding like a negative podcast. I'll be honest with you, man. I, I'm okay. I'm okay with the struggles as long as they get to where they need to be, as I said before. So maybe they do. And I think, I think hopefully, hopefully all these tr- trials, I mean, Michael Porter Jr. is not there. He won't be there till midway through next week, if that, right? So until he's back, you're not going to know. And even after he comes back, it's going to be difficult. As long as they power through it, learn lessons, just on my point of view, I'm okay with it. Yeah, unless they see some, unless I see some proper dedication to uh, getting him in and and really trying to work with him and and work with Nicola and Jamal on on how best to use everybody in those situations then I will have some concerns, but I think that that's going, like the process is still there. And, and without Porter, it's very hard to, to see where the process is going uh, because, because that is the ultimate goal. You have to find a way to work them in. You have to find a way to figure things out. And, and until they prove me that, that they're not going to do that, then, then I will be perfectly fine. This season was always going to be one that was tumultuous. Uh, I thought that they would be better defensively than they are. Uh, it's okay that they're not they're they're still they're still working through some of those issues and I think that there's still a trade on the horizon but I would be I, I I'm still not concerned like you said I I think that there are there are things that they had to work through and they're working through them and if it takes longer so be it but as long as they work through it by the end of the year they'll be okay all right well thank you for joining me sir where can people find you uh, they can find me at your own hum- that your your old humble abode at, yes. at denverstiffs.com uh, and and then on Twitter at NBA Blackburn if they so choose if they so choose I did a uh, I did a stiffs mailbag last yeah. night and I did a podcast with with good friend TJ McBride last night and so those have been great and and having a good time with it but uh but yeah just just hanging out having a good time man it's been it's been fun be sure and check out uh, world famous. Uh, uh, Ryan Blackburn, um, and uh, hopefully, hopefully, he'll get even more famous from here. So, everyone, thank you all for joining me on the latest Morecast. I'll be talking to you soon. Goodbye.